Well, my wife Rayleigh is away this weekend, um, and for a very good cause, very good, a very good thing. Her young, one of her younger brother, her youngest brother. She's number seven of nine, and so number eight. Uh, he made a career change, and he just graduated from the university um, this past week at 44 and became an attorney. And, um, and so, you know, they were gathering together, and why that's so significant, at least for us as a family, is remembering that Aurelie's mom died when she was very young, and so she finds herself, along with her older sisters, taking care of the, the next two down who were just toddlers, and he was just a toddler. And so motherly instincts kicked in early for Rayleigh and for her sisters and for a chance to celebrate this with him and, and to be together. So I really encourage her, and she's flown down to Mexico, and she's down with family this weekend. And I couldn't think of a really greater place for her to be. And I was thinking about that relationship and that kind of drawing us into a relationship like that. And I can say at this stage of my life, though we enjoy some time alone, don't raise your hand <laughs> next to your spouse or anything, though you enjoy some time alone, we do yearn for and long for company and relationship and interaction with others. Now, some of you are more introverted, but deep down, even among the most introverted, I really believe there's this yearning to know and to be known, to, to have a relationship and, and interact with someone. And I think it's never been so obvious than is the social experiment of Facebook. There's 7.3 billion people on our planet, approximately. And of that, I just found out yesterday, the statistic is there are 1.6 billion Facebook users. Oh, no, wait, active Facebook users. Those of you who have an account not using it, you're not included in this. They're measuring data, how, much, how many different people interact and respond on a regular basis, and there's 1.6 billion active Facebook users. What a social experiment that is. A desire to interact and connect with other people, but there's a great flaw with it, right? And that electronically communicating, at least at that level, misses one of the, or some of the principal things that we really like and want to have and need, and that is that voice-to-voice -voice interaction. You know, be able to hear and, and interact with someone at that level. Or to be able to be present with someone face-to-face -face and see them and experience that together. Or that really longing of being able to touch someone, um, the hug. Uh, you sure can't do that through Facebook. But the social experiment is proving itself true in that people do have a longing and they're trying to find a way to connect. And I believe revealed deep down within us and even more so from Scripture, we find that this yearning and this desire for relationship is part of who we are. It's part of our design. It's part of the way God created us. But knowing about someone is not the same as knowing 
someone, is it? I mean, you can collect all kinds of data and information. I can know your nationality, where you were born. We can know your gender, how many siblings you have, your spouse, if you've had one, active events that have happened in your life, different things that are important. I can collect all kinds of data about you, but that doesn't necessarily mean I know you, does it? And sometimes we're frustrated, and there's a little bit of frustration. There's even words that we generate in our culture like trolling, you know, on Facebook and different people. People kind of observe and collect all the information, seem to know about people, but do they really know them? I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation, somebody says, oh, yeah, she was doing this and this and this, like, you don't even know my sister. How did you know so much? I mean, what do you, you know, and they just collect data, and they know about, but they don't know of. But there's a yearning for us to really have this knowing of someone. I think it's very true with God as well. There's this yearning within us, and some may deny it, and fight it off and replace that yearning and longing with something else. But there's something deep within us that wants to know and be known by God, our Creator. The series that we're doing, Walking with God, is based on a book, Knowing God, by J.I. Packer. And he said this, A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. A little knowledge of Him that relationship with him is worth a lot more than knowing all about him one of the benefits he says is that once you become aware that the main business you're here for is to know god most of life's problems fall into place on their own he wants to have a relationship with us everything else will begin to pale and then packer goes on to say but what matters supremely is not the fact that i know god but the larger fact which underlies it. He wants to know me. He wants to know us. And the one who knows us and wants to know us and there's a longing within us is so much greater than we can imagine or think. Let's put it in perspective from Scripture for a minute. Paul wrote this in Romans. Listen to these words. Paul wrote this, Oh, how great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice? And who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back? For everything comes from Him and exist by His power, and is tended for His glory. Our God's really great. At the end of King David's life, when he had, through the hand of God, set quiet all the enemies around Israel and had solidified the kingdom, he himself been made king by the hand of God and delivered from all of his enemies around him, had this strong urging and desire to build a temple now that his God would could cease to dwell or be worshipped out of a tent. And he was told, that's going to be the work of your son, Solomon. So David goes around and he says, I'm going to give all the gold that I have, all the silver I've gained, everything I had, 
and the Bible tells us it was over 112 tons of gold. I did a little calculation. I think that's close to $4 billion worth of gold in today's standard, plus silver, plus all these things. And then the people gave even more so that they could build a place to worship their God together as a people. And it says that all the people gathered together. And then David, lifting his hands up in praise, said this, and he prayed in front of the whole assembly of the people, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever. Years, O Lord, listen to this, years, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. He writes later in another psalm, Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. And he says in another Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. And in Psalm 80 says, O Lord, O Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Where's David going with this? He's speaking about God in such majestic terms that even his name is majestic. Now it was to Moses whom God revealed himself and his name. And he said, Moses, this will be my eternal name. And as an 80-year-old man, a shepherd now wanders up and sees a bush burning, and the voice of God speaks to him from the bush, he reveals, he goes, this is my name. I am who I am. This name, God reveals to himself, speaks of him being self-sufficient, self-existent, all-encompassing, without limitations. The one being in the universe who's not dependent on someone or something else for his existence. How high, how magnificent is God? Well, over the centuries, similar prayers to David, similar psalms and songs have been written and sung. Books have been written, sharing and declaring, haven't they, the majesty of God. But what does it really mean? What does the majesty of God really mean? I looked at it from three different kind of viewpoints, the word majesty. One would be that one who actually is in positional authority, sovereign authority and power over something or someone. They have that positional responsibility, that majestic position. The other is the title, the designation we give that person, right? Your majesty. Because they have that sovereign authority and power. Then the last way to look at how we define majesty would be in something that's awe-inspiring in view, in presence, in performance. We overuse it in our contemporary culture, but we look at the sunrise and we capture an image or a picture. We, we look at some marvelous thing. Maybe you guys experienced it out this weekend in, May, in Maine out in the wilderness. But you see something that's awe-inspiring and say, this is, this is majestic. 
Of course, as I mentioned, we overuse it because we might hear an announcer on the television say that golf shot was majestic. I doubt it. But the word majesty is used throughout Scripture a lot to describe God and who He is. And the Bible uses all kinds of words in trying to define how great is our God. Listen to these words for a minute. Some of the words that are in Scripture that describe and explain God. He is the Creator, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite, everywhere. He's perfect. He's the Deliverer, Sustainer. He's love. He's peace. He is spirit. He is light. He is righteous, glorious, impartial, sovereign, incomprehensible, impartial, healer, heavenly Father, Lord of heaven's armies, King above all kings. He is God. He is holy. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He has unlimited powers and ability. He's able to do anything. He is the supreme. He is the preeminent. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is all-wise and all-seeing. He is all-present. There's no place, the psalmist writes, that I can go and hide from you and hide from Him. He's all-pervasive. He's boundless. There's no boundaries that keep God out. Now, there are those in our world and in our history, and maybe even views and performances you've seen, that we declare as majestic and their majesty. But there's only one God who stands out above all. He is the true and total majestic one. Are you with me? There's only one. Am I bringing you to a place that you can sense the experience of what it is in the majestic one? The psalmist in Psalm 93, he said this. I think we have this verse, Blake. The Lord is king. He is robed. Some versions say he is clothed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. In Psalm 45, he says, put on your sword, the psalmist writes. Almighty warrior, you're so glorious, Lord, so majestic. In your majesty, you ride out to victory, defending truth, humility, and justice. Go out and perform your awe-inspiring deeds. The quality and magnificence of God are staggering and beyond the ability of language to fully articulate. So how do we get to know of and not just about this God? Well, a few of the disciples of Jesus had an experience. Had an experience that is referred to many times as the transfiguration. And I'd like to recount that story this morning. Because it's in that experience they encountered the majestic for just a glimmering moment. This account, this story is found in the first three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I put together an excerpt combining all three of them together and we're going to put it up on the screen for you to look at. I want you to go with me for just a few minutes as we observe what's going on. 
Jesus took three, Peter, John, and James, up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. It shone like the sun. And his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about His exodus, that is Jesus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And then Peter blurts out something about, oh, let's build a couple of tabernacles and let's worship this moment, this experience. But then a cloud overshadowed them. A cloud overcame them in the midst of this. And it says terror gripped the disciples as the cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly beloved son, my chosen one, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. You see, encountering Jesus for them and for all of us is the key to unlocking that relationship with God and encountering just how magnificent He really is. Being close into His splendor and majesty. I wondered why Jesus did this and why this happened. I mean, he's gone through the first 30 some years of his life and we don't have any kind of symbol that sign that he's done this before. He didn't seem to want to do it or did do it in front of the other disciples at the moment, though he had shown all inspiring deeds. They had all seen him walk across the Sea of Galilee. They had all seen the leper's skin purify itself and become cleansed again. They'd all seen a blind man whose eyes were clouded now suddenly could see. They'd all seen a paralyzed one reach out and his hand was extended and made whole. But they didn't all experience this. Why? The magnificence of Jesus and who He really is was being revealed to these three. Because he wasn't just any other person. He's God. And for a brief moment, and for a brief moment that they physically observed, the majesty of the Son of God was revealed. They only found it by getting up close and following Jesus. Now, in the Gospel accounts, and one of them in Mark, At the very first chapter, it jumps right into Jesus' ministry, and it says Jesus went about and preached God's good news. The time promised by God, he says, has come at last. These are Jesus' words. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That was Jesus' first message. But wait, so many say. How can there be so much evil and sin in the world? Why does Jesus have to come and do that? If God's so great and magnificent, what happened? I I was torn in this as I was reading an account of someone who recently passed away. And you can read these news clips and then you see them later on on the web, the comments that people write. Have you you gone down and looked at those or am I the only person that does that? 
kind of look at the comments people say about it. And part of it's like, I want to write something, and then I don't want to reveal myself, and so I don't. But this guy has passed away, and they found him. Uh, it was in my home state, and they found him. Uh, he had been exposed to the elements, he had, he, and he had passed away. He had managed to get out of a lake that he'd fallen into and uh, nearly drowned, but he had froze to death. But they found him in a posture of prayer. Um, and he's a believer. And his wife had made a comment that uh, it so moved her to know that his last moments were here interacting with, with her Lord Jesus. And it really touched me. I thought, wow, what a great little story. And I'm reading through the comments like, oh, that's so great. And, you know, people like praising God about this. And then I was reading comments, well, where was his Jesus? I mean, he could have showed up, could have rescued him. How great is that God? And just really ripping into this whole thing. And I was, well, first I got mad and I was frustrated. And how could people think that way? But that's a common thought. Where is God in all this? But see, God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. I believe all those things. But he's also opposed and let me tell you why. See, God, when He made us in all of creation, He gave us a free will. Because He wants to have a relationship with us. When someone worked for me in the past in the corporate world, and they might say, oh, I like my boss. It might have been out of, imposed on them. Well, you know, he's my boss. I've got to interact. I've got to do what he says. I've got you know, imposed power. But if you want to have a real relationship with somebody, it goes beyond all kinds of uh, positions and abilities and things like that. It's because you want that relationship with someone. God wanted a relationship with His creation. And the only way that would really work to do that is to give us the ability to freely choose Him. Are you with me? And guess what? It can go wonderfully well, and it can go horribly bad. And one of his most magnificent creatures took half of the heavenly third of the heavenly host with him and rebelled and turned away. And when God placed us here on this earth, we're lured into the same rebellion and we fell away. We chose differently. It's within us and who we are. The opposition is there and it goes on. We can't interact personally with a holy, majestic God. Unless He intervenes. Jesus came and said, I'm bringing you good news. What's the good news? That God's going to come Himself. He'll be an offspring of humanity, if you will, almost like you might say the Son of Man, a Son of God, and He's going to come and He's going to redeem this creation and make it possible. And that's what Jesus did. Does it get any clearer than that? Can somebody say yes? Or That's Jesus. He came, and He is like the Son of Man, the Son of God, titles He gave Himself, titles bestowed Himself, that He could redeem us. The opposition continues. But the rescue has been set in motion. Paul called it out in Galatians. He came to rescue us in Jesus. And Jesus lived a sinless life and he was willing to die at the very hands of humanity, if you very hands, if you will, of the very humanity that he created 
he subjected himself to it and he took on that humanity's punishment, our punishment, so that we could have a relationship with God. Now, is that not a great story? That is good news. That is good news. The majestic one decides to intervene and he does. And we need to believe. That's all. In the book of Hebrews, it says this. Listen to these words. God, after He spoke long ago to our ancestors in the prophets, in many portions and many ways, in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the world. And He, Jesus, this Son, is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. And when He had made purification of sins, died on the cross, it says He sat down at the right hand of the, guess what word I'm going to use, the majesty on high. He becomes like this interacting high priest for us to have a relationship with God that comes through Jesus. And as we go to the mountain, He transfigures for us and becomes and we see who He really is. He's God. He wasn't just any other man who died. He was the Son of Man. He is God, the Son of God who had come and died. And that's why later in the book of Hebrews, He says this. Well, here's the main point. Always look for those words in one of these long letters. The writer will get to this place. And the Holy Spirit says, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God of heaven. Your Jesus is set down right now at the right hand of God. How majestic is your God? Do you have a knowing that has revealed his true, whole, majestic character to you? A sure relationship with Him? We talk a lot about having a personal relationship with God. The Bible says we can call Him Abba, like Father, like Daddy. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I long for everyone in this room to have that kind of relationship with Him. There's a problem when... A, we, at a human level, enter into a relationship with someone else. That problem can become as I can become somewhat like the person I'm befriended, right? And they can become like me. The problem is that because I know I'm not all that great sometimes, not all that good, and I don't want the bad of me to impose on the other. And we watch out who our friendships are, and we, we guard our heart, don't we? And we should. And we can make someone be more like who we are. And we want a person, I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but guess what? Never changes. He never changes. He doesn't delude himself and become quite more like us in the relationship with him. He can't change and doesn't change. He's still the majestic one. But He desires to have a relationship with us and we would change and become more like Him. Be more conformed to Him and to His image and who He is. 
like his nature and his character as is his son how majestic is your god god wants the relationship guys he sent his own son right he wants this with us but never at the sake of minimizing who he is I think the dilution sometimes comes about, too, when we try to seek no, more knowing about him than knowing of him. Aurelia and I have been married a couple of decades, and, and I don't learn more about her by reading her Facebook post. I shouldn't be surprised about what I would read, like, you did that, or where is that going on? Because I'm experiencing that with her that the real the real relationship gets built up in life is how we can walk through these events together how we can experience life and do life together and so as i've done and i've seen that and experienced that with many of you in the room we can say that oh i know not just about that event in their life i was actually there for that moment and it becomes a little bit a part of me though it was your event and I see what God's done and he's doing. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. That we have this ongoing experience with him and where we are in life. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this knowing of God? How do we achieve the right balance where we don't minimize him and make him more like us and we seek him and seek him as he is well as we press in as we seek relationship and you can appreciate this everybody in the room can appreciate this you've seen people and say i kind of like to get to know her or know him a little better and you send out a call or a message and you say hey can you get together and maybe you've been on the receiving end of that and you got hmm I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure I have time. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe, yeah, I, I did. We, I felt a, a connection. I'd like to know more. And you're willing to invest a moment, some time, in order to build and let that relationship happen. God's calling. He's always calling. And He wants that relationship with us. Are we willing to interact with it and say yes? And as we do, it comes through these encounters with Jesus. And he starts revealing himself. Not just as a good guy. We start seeing him as God. And who he is. And then after we have this encounter with Jesus, guess what happens? He puts his own spirit. The spirit of God himself comes within us. And we sense his presence and power in our lives. And we have these ongoing experiences with God. Amazing. It's then all the facts that we read and gather about God become confirmed as truth. We read Scripture. We say, uh, yeah, I, I, I see that. I experienced that. It becomes not just a truth in a book and an educational experience, but it becomes a knowing of God. And we stop speaking just in third person about God, and we start speaking in first person about a relationship with Him. This in turn fuels us to want to, the cycle to continue. I want to learn more about him and experience it with him. 
Well, you know what? In a sermon like this, the room's quiet and your attention's been gathered. I cannot just continue to communicate facts about God without appearing to be just what I've been preaching against. An educational exercise of knowing more about God, knowing more about Jesus, but not really of Him. And as many of you here today would testify with me, and others who will listen, I declare to you I have a first-hand experience with God, the Creator of all the universe. I met Him at 14 years old when He revealed an encounter with Jesus Himself. And it continues at 59. I know that's probably shocking. For some appears even at 59, he's still revealing himself to me. I fully anticipate and fully expect I will not cease to have an interaction with the Creator and God of this universe in this life or in the life to come. I cannot just come in here and tell you I know about God without telling you I have a first-hand experience. The world will think you're a nut until they experience God and they say, tell me more. Last week, we were on a trip, a number of us, in the Dominican Republic. Jeff, can you preach in a couple of different things? Yes, I'll do that. Excited to do that. You know, they want to hear somebody come and preach in Spanish and do that. Yep, I can do that. I get in the group, and the first group, and there was probably six adults, and how many kids, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, 20, 20 or 20, 30 kids in this room that's about the size of this right here. We're all packed in there, plus our 16 or 17. And I'm, I'm preaching to a bunch of children, a bunch of kids, some youth. Here's my sermon. That won't work. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? And he starts speaking. And I realize in the course of this, there's someone here that's dealing with opposition and nightmares and, the, and, and someone's coming in. And you have these thoughts. And I, okay, I'm just going to share this. I don't know if anybody's going to respond. Nobody said much. And then all of a sudden, everybody gets up and started praying. And I don't think there's one of our group that wasn't praying for a number of people and dealing with opposition and dealing with what, what's happening at night. And these people, I go up to another place, an event to pray, to, to preach. And we go up there and I'm there and I'm talking about the good news, the good news of Jesus. Several of these people, there's probably a dozen, Carla, maybe a dozen people that they're, they're there, all adults. And we're talking about the good news and how Jesus could Jesus healed and, and Jesus cast out demons. And have you guys? Uh, yeah. Interesting and interesting. They're listening to my words. And I said, this same God does this a day. How to do it? Does anybody have a healing need to have the gal next to me before I can even get the words in my mouth. She goes, yeah, I've got, my head hurts. I've got this intense pain in my head. And my mom over there, she fell and her back's hurt. And, and she's like this. And this other guy says, my knees have got this. And then all kinds of prayer cards started coming up in this group. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is the Holy Spirit that's moving here right now. Let's just stop and pray. You guys go over here, go pray for her. You pray for him. Let's pray for this. Let's just pray for the physical things. And God, if you're here, would you just show up right now and do something? We're not going to pray about all this other emotional stuff until we can. Let's let's just deal with this. And what happened? Okay, I stopped the group. I said, okay, guys, we've been praying for a little. Let's stop. What's going on? My head doesn't hurt anymore. Her back's healed. His knees hurt. He actually jumped up and down some. And it went on. And 
this God lives. And if I don't tell you this experience, I'm telling you because it's God. He's moving. And it's the same God who's in this room today. Who wants to experience him today? Who wants to experience him today? Yeah, keep raising hand. We do. We want to experience him today. It has to be more than just a knowing about him. We want to know him. If you don't tell your personal experiences about Jesus, your testimony is nothing but an educational process of quoting scriptures and telling what somebody else did. You might as well post it on Facebook. It's about that useful in my mind. If you've had a personal encounter with God, then you need to tell people about it. That's your testimony. He sent us out into the world to make disciples, not to write books. Don't get me wrong. Not to build blogs, not to tell people more information, which we should. But actual experience of who we are, that's your testimony of Jesus. What's yours? Well, these stories are numerous. Not just mine. I've had many. I know many of you, and you've had the same and similar experiences. Matter of fact, John wrote this in his gospel account, the very last verse of his book. He says, and tell me if you can't say amen to this in this room. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. The books are still being written, guys. Do you believe me? Do you believe him, the magnificent one? Well, 30 years... I can't stop. (laughs) 30 years, approximately, after Peter had this transfiguration experience, he writes as a prisoner in Rome. And from prison, in 2 Peter 1, he writes this. We're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from god the father the voice from the majestic glory of god said to him this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy we ourselves heard that voice from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain because of that experience we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets You think that was an important moment for Peter? 30 years later, he says, I didn't make this thing up, guys. It really did happen. We must seek out a relationship with God, guys. We must seek out that relationship he's calling us in to know him and to be known by him and respond. And then you'll encounter his majesty. You press in and you'll encounter that majesty of God. And then we must remember him because guess what? We forget. The youth will tell you, I'm constantly reminding them, hey, remember when we did this and this retreat? Like, yeah, you've told us a thousand times. I don't want you to forget. Remember your stories and tell them. The worship leaders are going to come up now. I hope. No one wants to hear me. The worship leader is going to come up now, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to experience a few minutes, a few moments of praising God. 
of worshiping the majestic one, the omnipotent, the creator, the majestic one. And would you do this? Would you let the Holy Spirit carry you into a personal moment of worship? And then we're going to come back. And then we're going to come back and we're going to have some time to pray. And we're going to see if God's moving and we're going to experience God together in that way this morning.